This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. For about, I don't know, six weeks probably, Pesach and everything. Good to be back. So we're going to go back a little bit. Um, this week's Pasha, of course, is Isha Ki Tazria, Behold Zohar, Tazria Mitzvah. We're going to go back a week, because I wasn't here last week, to Parshas Shmini. And in Pasha Shmini, it talks about the animals that are kosher and the animals that are not kosher. An animal that's kosher is an animal that has split hooves and chews its cud. Chewing its cud means that it eats, let's say, hay, right, whatever it eats. It's vegetarian. And it goes into its stomach and it digests a little bit. Then it comes back up, regurgitates it, and then it chews it again. It goes back, goes back and forth until the body is able to digest the, the hay. So it, it sort of throws up the food, but not out of its mouth, and, and it goes back down, it goes up, back down. That means chew its cud. There's certain animals that chew its cud, there's certain animals that don't chew their cud. Okay. Now, it's just an interesting, thank you very much. It's an interesting, um, in Pasha's Noah, when Hashem tells Noah to bring the kosher animals and the non-kosher animals into the Teva, the Torah says it in a very nice way. It doesn't, Call the non-kosher animals treif. It says the following. It says like this: We call him a tahira from every tahar, pure animal. Take seven pears. From the animal asheloi tahara that is not pure, that is not kosher. Right there, you should only take two and two. So it doesn't say take from the animal that's kosher seven seven and the animal that's and the animal that's treif. It says the animal that's not pure. So it's just a very nice way of speaking. It's just a pleasant way of speaking, right? It's sort of like a kid fails in your class and you're not and you're like, okay, these are the kids who passed and these are the kids who didn't pass. Instead of saying these are the kids who failed. Just much nicer, right? These are, this is the guy who won the race, and this is the guy who didn't win the race, not, this is the loser. We call the loser. I didn't win the race, so I am a loser, but I'm not, called, I'm not a loser. So there's just a way of saying things to, you know, nicely and not nicely. So in Pasha Noach, very careful, and Hashem says, bring the non-kosher animal. He says, bring the kosher that's, n- bring the animal that's not tahar. But for some reason, in the Pasha Shmini, when it talks about kosher, not kosher, the Torah doesn't talk so nice, right? The Torah says, "Davar Yisrael, those hachash toichlo be called the hammer. You're allowed to eat, but kapar the brother, right? Anything that has split hooves and chooses card, but a camel that chooses card, but those hooves are not split all the way through, tomehu lachem." Nah, it's not kosher, it's Tomei. So how come in Pasha's Noach, you, do, you, you talk nicely, and you say it's not Tahar, and here, you say it's Tomei. The answer is that over there, by the, when, when you're describing the animal, so Hashem is being nice the way he describes the animal, when it comes to not eating kosher, God needs to warn you, so he needs to call the animal Tomei. In other words, you can't be nice when it comes to something like that. It's like, this animal, it's not kosher, it's tamay. It's, and that's why there's a difference. But, the very big question. Okay, first of all, there are, there are four animals mentioned in the Torah that 
have one simon, you have to have two simonim, two signs, two yikad and, and split hooves. There are four animals that have one kosher simon, but don't have the second one. A camel, a jackrabbit, a pig. So three of those, three of those, chew their cud. Okay, so that makes them kosher, but they're not kosher because their hooves are not split all the way through. And there's one animal in the world that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud, and that's the pig. By the way, that is one of the proofs of God. When people come to me and they're like, how do you know that Hashem wrote the Torah? Maybe a man made it up. Maybe Moshe wrote it. How do you know it's from Hashem? So one of the proofs that Esha Torah brings down, one of the main proofs, is that if somebody wrote the Torah, he would never put something in the Torah that you could prove that isn't true. So, what human being in the world could know that there's only one animal in the world that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud, and that's the pig. A human being, Moshe Beno, lived in the Middle East. He didn't know what animals were in the Amazon, South Africa, Himalayas, right? He, he couldn't know that. And, and even a zoologist doesn't know every single animal in the world. So if the Torah makes a statement that there is no animal in the world except the pig that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud, the only one that can make that statement is the one that created every animal. Hashem knows what he created. So Hashem can say that I only, went, only created one animal like this. So one of the proofs that it's God is that if a human being would have written the Torah, he would have never put something in that you could disprove because if tomorrow they find an animal that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud and it's not a pig... Then the whole Torah is false. Then we're going to go to Burger King, have cheeseburgers. Has to show So there's something in the Torah that was written that if it's proven wrong, then the whole Torah is not true. And the only being that could write such a statement is God. Because if I was to write a Torah and I wanted to fool you, I would never put in something that I might be wrong. Maybe in 50 years they'll find an animal in the, in somewhere in the woods. Maybe in a, in 100 years. Maybe in 200 years. So I would never write something like that. The Torah didn't have to write that the only animal is a pig. It didn't have to write that. But if it wrote it, it's to tell us all that I can write the Torah. I can write this because I'm God. I never created any other animal like this. So you're never going to find one. Gemara says that when Mashiach comes, the pig will become kosher. It's going to chew its cud what it says. Maybe because it suffered all these years because the one thing that you go into school, go into any school, go into third grade and say, tell me, kids, tell me something, an animal that's not kosher, everyone will scream pig. We're all brought up the chazer, chazer treif, that's chazer treif, that's chazer treif. Chazer, 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 right? Why? A lion's not kosher, a tiger's not kosher, a rat's not kosher, a cat's not kosher, a dog's not kosher. Why a chazer? So I'm going to answer that question. Why is the, the representation of something that's not kosher, why is it a pig? So, and by the way, if there's a freak born, like, let's say you have a pig that's born and it does chew its cud, or a camel chews its cud. If you ever went to Israel, you see the camels, they're always chewing, even when they're not eating, because they're, they're always chewing their cud, but their hooves, even though they're split, they look like this, there's a piece of skin underneath. So it didn't, it didn't split all the way through. To be kosher, it has to be split all the way through. What happens if you have a freak a camel that's born with a, a birth defect and it doesn't have that piece of skin and it has a split hoof. Is it kosher? What do you think? What? Why? 
No, this is a freak. It was. It was. A, it's a born. You know, a freak. It did. It, it was born. It be, an animal can be born without a hand, without a finger, without a without a paw. So this is a freak. It was born without without that skin on the bottom. The answer is, the question's asked. The answer is, if the species isn't kosher, even if one of the animals came out like that, it's still not kosher. It goes by the species. Okay. All right. Now, here's the question: If you look at the pasuk that describes the four animals that have one simon, right? It says the following. I'm going to read it to you from inside. You should not eat this, even though it chews its cud. And it has split hooves. As hagomol, the, the, the camel, because a camel chews its cud. Uparsa enenu mafris, but its hooves are not totally split. So tamehu lechem, it's not kosher. That's the chazir, the chazir. Ki mafris pasta, who it has split hooves, right? But who geru leyigor, but it doesn't chew its cut. Tamehu lechem, it's treif. So here's the question, girls. If I'm telling you the camel is not kosher, why am I quoting the kosher sign of the camel? In other words, I would should write, you should not eat a camel because the camel's hooves are not split all the way through. Right? That's it. That's the information I need to give you. Why am I writing, you shouldn't eat a camel because the camel chews its cud, which makes it kosher, right? Chews its cud, but its hooves are not really split through. Who cares that it chews its cud? It's not kosher. So it should say, a camel's not kosher because it doesn't have split hooves. The chazir, when the Torah says, the chazir is not kosher, because the chazir has split hooves, which makes it kosher, but it doesn't chew its cud, which makes it trade. Why are you telling me the kosher sign? When you're trying to tell me the animal is not kosher, why are you telling me the kosher sign? I don't, I'm not interested in the kosher sign. You hear the question? Everyone here, you understand what I'm saying? Yes. What makes it a big shot? It was born that way. So the answer is because the pig sits. If you ever see a pig in a, in a, in a pig farm, it sits with its feet out. A camel sits with its feet underneath it. But a pig, he sits there and he, his hooves are out in the front like this, saying, look, I am kosher. He's trying to fool you. In other words, if you're not kosher, put your little hooves underneath your body. What are you showing off that your kosher simon when you're not really kosher. That's what your teacher meant, meant to say. It's showing off that I'm kosher. That's what she meant to say. That, that's what she said. So, so why, so why is the Torah telling me the kosher sign? The kosher sign has nothing to do with it, not, the reason that it's not being kosher. So there's two total opposite answers. One answer is, because it has a kosher sign, much more dangerous. When something's treif, and you know it's treif, have a good day. One of the biggest arguments I have when I talk about technology and the internet and smartphones is, girls say to me, you're right, it has bad stuff, but it also has good stuff. It has Torah anytime. Rabbi, your shiram are on there. It has a hundred different shiram, and I want to know what time Shabbos is. 
my phone rings, uh, buzzes every night and tells me, don't forget to say Sfira. So, there's something good about it. The reason, and that's the worst part about it. Because you get sucked into it because it's not such a bad thing, it's a good thing. It has good to it. But if you knew something was just bad, you wouldn't touch it. You wouldn't go near it. So the Chazir is more trace because it has a kosher sign. Many parshas ago, when Yaakov Avinu dove into Hashem, he said, "Hatzileni no miyad achi esav." Save me, parshas Yishlach Yaakov Malachim. Please, Hashem, save me from my brother Esav. So all the Mepharshim ask, why didn't he just tell Hashem, save me from Esav? Hashem knows Esav is your brother. What's the extra word, achi? Save me from my brother Esav. And the answer is, save me from Esav, I don't need so much saving. When I know that someone hates me, he's an anti-Semite, he's a Nazi, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna marry him, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, Assimilate with them. Hashem, say me me'achi. Say me when he's acting to me like a brother. When he's my friend. When he's not an anti-Semite. When I feel like I'm one, I'm one of him. That's the assimilation. You assimilate when you're uncomfortable. It's an interesting thing. Because sometimes when I send the girls to rehabs, and they don't keep Shabbos, and they don't keep kosher, but in the rehab, they're like, right, well, I'll make sure they send me kosher. I'm like, I don't stand. When you're in Brooklyn, you don't eat kosher. Now, right? Because now... They feel different. These are all Goyim. I'm a Jew. They feel more of a Jew because they're not assimilated. They're, they're totally separated. So the, the danger is Miyad Ochi. That he's my brother. And he acts nice to me. And that's, that's the problem with assimilation. One of the reasons that I created the ranch upstate, Baruch Hashem, was that until the ranch, which is a impatient place for girls, Jewish girls, not enough to be religious, but you have to be Jewish, Jewish girls who are going through either depression, anxiety, a couple of other things, whatever, was because many times when I went to the rehabs across the United States, whether it's in Utah, Arizona, Texas, or Florida, one of the biggest problems was that we sent to these places Jewish girls that were very wounded and very sick and very not well. And what we got back after a year or nine months or three months or whatever it was, was a healthier girl, but not Jewish anymore. What happened? What happened is, even though none of these places are allowed to missionize, because if they tell a Jewish girl you have to become a Christian, they lose their license, they lose their whole business. You can't, in a therapeutic place, be talking about religion. You can't, you're not allowed to. You lose your license. So, why did all these girls come back? Like, I don't want to be a Jew anymore, I don't want to be like the guy. What happened? What happened? can't be that they sat in the room and said, missionaries. What happens is very simple. They came from Beziakos, they came from Hasidic houses, they came from religious houses, and they grew up in their head, for whatever reason, because it's wrong, that Goyim are bad. It's not true. You should never teach your children that Goyim are bad. Goyim are different. Amalek is bad. Esav's tiny Yisrael, but not everyone's from Esav, and not everyone's Amalek. 
So kids grow up, uh, I'm bad. No, no, that's, that's not what, it's not true. There's a mission in Pirkei I'll tell you what it says. It says all human beings were created in the image of God. So, you can't say they're bad. They're created in the image of God. It's a mission in Pirkei All human beings, not Jews, all human beings were created. But Salam Aleichem, Baruch Yisadam. So Goyim are not bad unless they do something bad to you. But the mission says they're the Salam Aleichem. Yisrael, Banamatam Hashem, you're his children. And he gave you the Torah on a different level. So these kids come out and they're like, Goyim are bad. And they end up in this place. And these Goyim that are supposedly bad are your therapists and your direct staff and they're healing you and they're curing you. And you're like, they're not bad. They're very nice. They saved my life. So maybe everything else they told me about Judaism is also not true. If that's not true, then maybe I was just being, you know, maybe the Jews just put that in my head, but it's not really true, and they get all mixed up. So by them being nice to them, miyad achi, is much more dangerous than if they're not nice to you. If someone goes over to you and says, you Jew, I hate Jews, Hitler should have killed you all, you're not going out with that person. You're not... Hanging out with that person. You're not going to be that person's friend. But the person says, like, hey, Jews, I love Jews, you know, we love you. Then all of a sudden, you're, you're like, hey, I want to hang out with them. And you assimilate. And then there's intermarriage and everything else. I'll tell you a crazy story. I wasn't prepared to tell you the story tonight, but it's just, I always say, it's feel it should come out of my mouth what, what people need to hear, not what I need to say. It's a crazy true story. It's a true story. So there was this, this guy, and he was, I said in Ornava many years ago, the true story that I heard. In fact, he lived on the east side, this guy, the east side of Manhattan. And he didn't go to yeshiva as a kid, whatever it was. He went to public school, and then he went to college, and he fell in love with a non-Jewish girl. And he got engaged to get married. And, of course, the parents were like, we're not going to the wedding, the whole family. It was destroyed the family. This guy said, I don't care. I'm marrying this guy, this girl, who's not Jewish. So he went to this big rabbi. And they said, Rabbi, you gotta do something. You gotta break this up. He said, How can I, how can I break this up? You think I'm gonna call him in and say, The girl he's about to marry that he's going out with for five years that he's in love with, because the rabbi said, He's gonna like, Oh, okay, I'm gonna walk away from her. It ain't gonna happen. They're like, No, do something in Kabbalah, you know, write her name on a brick and then burn it. All kinds of stories. He said, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. So, Rabbi, you're not gonna help us? He said, Let me think overnight. Let me, let me think if I can come up with an idea. Next day, he says, will your son come talk to me? They said, listen, my, our son said that if we come to the wedding, he'll go talk to a rabbi, but if he still decides that he wants to marry the non-Jewish girl, you have to come to the wedding. If you make a deal like that, we'll go to the rabbi. I said, okay, make the deal. Make the deal. Said, Are you kidding me? Make the deal. Just get him to me. Okay. Guy comes into the rabbi, he sits down, he goes, I know, I know. My parents are going to sit on the floor and rip their clothing. It's the biggest sin. I'm not going to have Jewish children. I know, rabbi, I know all the stories. Listen to me carefully. I am marrying this girl no matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, I am marrying this girl. And he said, I wasn't going to talk you out of it. He said, what? No. I think you should marry her. On one condition. 
What's the condition? He says, a week before your marriage, I want you to make the craziest bachelor's party. I want you to invite her, her parents, and her whole family, uncles and aunts. I want her whole family to be there, and I want cases of booze. Scotch, beer, bourbon, wine. I want that to be so much booze over there. I said, I want this to be the biggest party you ever threw in your life. He says, Rabbi, you sure you want, you sure this is what you want me to do? He says, absolutely. I want our whole family to come. And make sure every uncle comes and every cousin comes. The guy's like, oh my God, I love this rabbi. He's my man. He's not even telling me, he's not even talking me out of it. He's talking me into it. This is amazing. Okay. Comes the night of the party. His fiance comes in. Her uncles, her father, her mother, everybody. They're drinking away. They're getting drunk. And one uncle, a real Christian, walks over to the chassan, to this Jewish kid, and he goes, you're a kike, aren't you? That's a very, very nasty name to call a Jew. A kike. He says, excuse me? He says, yeah, you're a Jew. You're marrying my niece. You're a Jew, aren't you? He goes, yeah. He says, you know Hitler should have killed all of you. He's like, excuse me? He says, you guys, you're the vermin of the world. You're the germ. You're the bacteria. This guy is drunk. He's ripping. He's a real, like, you know, real anti-Semite from the down south. And the other people that are standing there listening, they're like, that's right. We're going to let you marry our niece, but you know what we think of your freaking nation? They should have all burnt and they should have all died. And all of a sudden, the whole place is ranking him out. And he's standing, he's like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm marrying, this is what I'm marrying into? These people hate us. And then she, who's totally, his Kala, is totally blitzed, and she puts her arm around him and says, this is my Jew! This is my Jew! And she starts making fun of him in front of everybody. And of course, he did not drink. And he's like, this is what they really think of us, of me? He says, everyone out of my house, now. Now. Party's over. Out. And they're cursing you, blank, this and that. You we didn't want to come here in the first place. We have to come for her. And she's cursing. You're throwing my family out. You're throwing me out. Don't ask what was going on in that apartment. In the end, he threw everyone out. Calls up the rabbi the next day. He goes, Over! I'm not marrying this girl. Robert says, what do you mean? I said I was coming to the wedding. He says, I am not married. Do you know what went on at that party last night? He goes, no. He, of course, he knew what would happen. He says, no, what happened? And he starts telling him, this uncle, then they agreed, and she agreed. Hopefully it was over. I heard they wrote him a crazy check, the family. He didn't ask for money, but they came to him. They said, you, the chach that he used, he said, you want to know how they really feel about us? Get him drunk. So the, the, when Yaakov asked Hashem, he said, save my children from the achi. Save my children from when the not, when the people who hate us act like our brothers. Because Esav Sanis Yisrael. My grandfather, Shalom, was in Germany during the Holocaust. 
My grandparents came from Germany. He was partners with a, a German non-Jew in a, they had a department store. They had a store. When the Nazis started the whole thing, Kristallnacht, they ran, my grandparents ran, my father, and hid somewhere in a very good hiding place. This partner gave him up to the Gestapo. He told the Gestapo where they were hiding. Why? Because he wanted to own the whole store. If he gets rid of the Jews, he has no more partner. He owns the whole thing. My grandfather thought this guy was his best friend. When it came down to money, he gave him over to the Gestapo. So when I was about seven years old, my grandfather called me into the kitchen. And he said, listen to me carefully, my grandson. I would rather get a slap from the worst Jew than a kiss from anyone else. At the end of the day, in the end of the day, my best friend gave me up for some, for some money to the Gestapo. In the end, Baruch Hashem, my, my grandmother got, got them out. They ran to Holland. They came to America, whatever it was. So the danger of assimilation is when you go to college, and you're sitting in class, and everyone's buddy-buddy, and like asking, like, what does it mean to be a Jew, and it's so nice, and all that other thing. And all of a sudden, you're like very comfortable. Don't ever get comfortable. Don't get comfortable. Hashem, save me from my brother. When Esav acts like my brother, don't get too comfortable. And the reason I made the ranch is that we get unhealthy Jewish girls, and when they leave, they leave healthy Jewish girls. Because we don't have any of that. We, don't, we only have Jewish people. So, and we serve only kosher food. And every room has mezuzah. Even the horses eat kosher food. That's right. Every one of my horses only eats kosher food. You know why? Because horses don't eat anything else but kosher food. Because all they eat is, veg- is, is hay and, and oats. So they don't eat meat, so it's not a problem. So they, they only eat kosher food. But the bottom line is that that's the problem today. The problem today is that we send our kids away and they come back and they don't, they're not connected anymore. That's a very big problem. So when you know it's ASOV, you know, they don't like me. I know where I'm at. All the, Terrible things that happened to the Jews. In all the, if, in all, if, you, if you do history, you read history, I'm a big history guy, is when we became very comfortable and very powerful. The Spanish Inquisition happened when the Jews were running Spain. The Holocaust happened when the Jews were running Germany. And they were running Europe. And they were very comfortable and they were assimilating. And we did the same thing. We did the same thing in, in Spain. And we did the same thing in Mitzrayim. We became their best friends. And then all of a sudden we were slaves. So a person has to know that who we are and that we're different and and therefore the chazer is very dangerous because the chazer says, look, I'm one of you. I have split hooves. I am kosher. You're not kosher. You're a faker. You're not kosher because you don't chew your card, but you can't see that. You can only see his split hooves. And that's why the Torah tells us his first simon is a kosher simon that makes him more treif. What the Torah is telling you is that an animal that has no simonim it doesn't have split hooves, and it doesn't chew its cud, it's not kosher. But you want to know something that's even more not kosher? Something that has one simon, because that's going to fake you out. That's even more not kosher than the thing that doesn't have two simon. That's one vatar. But there's another side. Totally the opposite. Other rabbis say that the reason the Torah tells us it's kosher simon 
is to tell you that even if you see something in this world that has a non-kosher simon, right, you should know that still everything in this world has good. Some, everything in this world has good. So you see a person that she's wearing, she's not just sneers and she's smoking on Shabbos and all that. So it looks like she's trafe, right? Oh my God, look at this girl. Mm-mm. Sometimes the person's, not sometimes, always, there's always something kosher about the person. In Pasha's Sabbath, before Pasha Shemini, the Torah tells us that at the end of the day, they brought a lot of kabbalas and mezbeach, so there were a lot of ashes, right? They burnt the stuff. There was a lot of ashes. So a coin at night would take the ashes off the mezbeach. It's called Trumas Hadeshen. You take the ashes off the mezbeach, put it next to the mezbeach, right? Change his clothing, and then take the ashes from next to the mezbeach out into wherever they put all the ashes. So everybody asks, why doesn't he just take the ashes off the mezbeach and take it straight out? Why are you putting it next to the Mizbeach, changing your clothing, and then doing it again? And the answer is to teach us that the ashes in Klai Yisrael, the ashes, the kids that are lost, still have to be put next to the Mizbeach. They still have a Kedusha. Don't take them from the Mizbeach straight out into the field. No. The coin has to put it next to the Mizbeach to give it Hashivas, that it has an importance, that they're, they're just as important. So put it next to the Mizbeach. They're just as important as the Mizbeach. And then change your clothing and take them out. The Torah very much tells us that not to judge, not to judge what you see at all. And that there's always something kosher about a Jew. There's always something good. I've heard so many stories of Jews that didn't keep anything. And then in the, in the Holocaust, they started keeping everything. And the people said, why? You didn't keep this at home. And it's like, I know, but now I have to stand up for my Judaism. When I'm amongst Jews, I don't have to stand up for my Judaism. But in front of that, there's a very famous story um, about a guy, uh, somebody who was in Warsaw. And he wasn't religious. And on Shabbos, he was one of the only Jews that used to smoke in front of everybody. And then the Germans caught him and they brought him to Auschwitz. And the Germans knew that he was a Jew that didn't keep anything. So they wanted to use him to get to the other Jews. So they had a big lineup. He said, well, these lineups. And they lined up everybody. And they, they took this guy and they put a gun to his head. And they said, here's a cigarette, light it. Well, Shabbos. He said, no. The Nazis said, what do you mean, no? You used to, you used to smoke this. We knew that you used to smoke this on Shabbos. Why all of a sudden now you became religious? He said, if you don't smoke it, we're going to blow your head off. He said, no, I'm not going to. And they blew his head off. They killed him in front of everyone. He died. A guy that was Mechal Shabbos died on Kiddush Hashem keeping Shabbos. Because he wasn't ready to give up. When he was amongst Jews, ah, but now, now you're putting a gun to my head and you're like, you're not a Jew? You're not one of them? You're Mechal Shabbos? No, I am one of them. The Kayach of a, of, of a Jewish person. That's why, so he brings down, that's why there's a, the simon of the kosher first. Even though they're Tameh, you need to know that every person has something kosher about them. Okay. That was last week's Pasha. Now let's talk a little bit about this week's Pasha. This week's Pasha talks about a woman who gives birth. Ishaki says, we have a Yolda Zacha. She becomes Tameh and she has to bring two Karbanas. Why does she have to bring two Karbanas? Every woman that gives birth has to bring two sacrifices. Why does she have to bring two sacrifices? Anyone here know? She, number one, she says, I'm never going to give birth again because she's going through so much pain. 
And what's the other one for? What? No, the second one's she brings she brings two chattas, two for sinning. Because probably she was cursing her husband while she was giving birth. That's what it says that. What? Now they have epidurals. They still cursed her husband. So you get the epidural. It's very painful. It's like, how'd you get me into this? Ah! So that's why she brings two carbonas. But anyway, so I have a very fascinating story. It's brought down in a sefer called the Gesher HaChayim. Gesher HaChayim is a sefer Nebuch. You should never, you should never, and no one in this room should ever have to read it. But it's a sefer that one reads after someone dies. It gives chizuk to people who lost somebody who they, who they were close to. So he has a fascinating story, um, being that this week he's talking about when a woman gives birth. So he brings out a fascinating story. I don't have the Gesher HaChayim in front of me. I gave it to someone a, a few months ago. I didn't get it back. I'm going to tell it to you from my, from my memory. So this lady's pregnant, and she has twins. She's pregnant with twins. Now you have to have a little bit of an imagination, okay? We go, we're going into her womb, and the two twins are talking to each other. One twin tells the other twin, listen, this is it. This is our whole life. We're going to be in this womb for nine months, and at the end of nine months, this is what I heard, you get pushed out and you die. So we need to enjoy the time that we're going to spend in the next nine months. That's it. Other guy says, I don't think that's what this is about. We're not really even alive yet. I heard that this is just a womb. This is just the hallway in front of the banquet hall. But in nine months, we get pushed out into a world. There's light, shapes, colors, sound, smell. And the other guy's like, you're nuts. There's no, we're in this dark, smelly, hot little room in a fetal position where your, your hands are on the sides of your head, your feet are up in your chin. Right? It's a fetal position. He's like, I heard that you have feet. And with those feet, you can run. You can jump. You can climb. This guy is thinking he smoked pot or something. Like, this guy is hallucinating. He's totally hallucinating, right? So what are you talking about? What feet? What, what run? Where are you running? What? There's no way to run. We're squashing this little humid, hot place. What run? What are you saying? I'm telling you, there's much more to life. Okay. They're battling this for nine months. This is going on. Nine months. They're fighting. One says, this is it. Other one says, there's a whole world. Okay. At the end of nine months, all of a sudden, the lady goes into labor. And there's getting squished. Right? Contractions. They're getting squished. And the, the one that's on top is the one that believes that the whole life is just in the, in the womb. And the one that's coming out first is the one that believes that he wants to go out first. That there's a whole world, this is nothing. This is, this is terrible. But once we get out, it's going to be amazing. And he starts to get pushed out. And the brother on top is saying, oh my God, it's over. Life is over. We're both going to die now. That's it. Nine months. I heard nine months. You get pushed out. You fall out. You're dead. That's it. You're buried. You're, it's over. And he's trying to hold his brother back from getting out, Right? But the doctor's pulling from the other side and they're pushing and they're pulling and they're having this struggle and 
finally the, the, the kid's like out. And the older, the older brother, the, the first brother, he's sitting inside the womb still. He's like, oh my God, my brother just went into that other world. And all of a sudden he hears, Why else would he be screaming? If he was right, he's coming to a world of light and all this other stuff, he'd be laughing, screaming, I knew it, I knew I was right. My brother's dead. He's like, I'm going to save him. I'm going to pull him back in. The umbilical cord. Starts pulling on the umbilical cord. He's not going to let his brother die and all of a sudden the doctor takes a scissor and cuts the umbilical cord. And then, of course, the umbilical, his umbilical cord comes back to him, and the other one's out, and he's like, my brother's dead. Because right away, after he cries a little bit, it stops crying. He's like, he's dead. I don't want to die. I don't want to die like my brother. I want to stay here. So he ties the umbilical cord around his head so that the doctor won't be able to pull him out and cut it. But of course, he kills himself. Because by pulling the umbilical cord around his neck and then the baby's being pushed out, it chokes him to death. And he doesn't make it into the world. But it's okay, because the world was anyway going to kill him, he thought. And his brother is now in the warmer with lights and sounds. They can't really see very clearly. but And breathing. Imagine the first breath the baby takes. He gets whacked. Thank you. He gets whacked. So the other brother was sure that he was right. Meanwhile, he was so wrong. So wrong. He died in the womb. He's so wrong. He never got into the world. Now, this safer is after someone dies. This is like more depressing. <laughs> How's this supposed to help you? So he explains beautifully. He says there's two kinds of people in this world. This world is the womb. And there are people that think, this is it. This is it. My dress, my food, my car, my house, my looks, right? This is it. Live here for the nine months, 80 years, 90 years. And after that, you get pushed out of the world. You go into the ground. It's over. And other people know that there's an Eilam Haba. And that this is nothing. This is garbage. The real world is the next world. And therefore, they prepare themselves in the womb for the real world by doing mitzvahs and what they're supposed to do. And the person who does no mitzvahs, and the person who's busy in the womb, because that's all there is, in the end, he comes to the next world dead. He has no mitzvahs, he has no Torah, he has nothing. He, he left this world and he, and he has nothing. But the person who understands that the womb is just a prefix a preface to the real world, understands that once they come out of the womb, once they leave this world, that's when they're really going into life. So the Gesher Chaim says, even though it's very sad, and he says, very interesting, he says in the Gesher Chaim that when a, when a person's born, so the baby cries and everybody else laughs. When a person dies, everyone else cries and the person laughs. Why? So when the baby's born, it didn't live yet. It could end up being a Russia. It could end up doing crazy Averis. It could be doing very, very wrong things. So it cries because it doesn't know what's going to be in life. When the baby dies, the Shama 
That's it. I left the world. I believed in Hashem. I did my mitzvahs. I'm in a good place. So even though everybody's crying, the baby's laughing. So the Gesha Chaim says, understand that this world that we're in right now is the womb. This is not... Anyone here have a sitter? Is there a sitter back there? Is there a sitter back there? I need, I need a Pirkeavos. Anybody have a small pocket sitter with Pirkeavos in it? Come on, girls always have Sidurim. I bet you if I ask you for it to heal them, I'll get ten of them. Could you go upstairs and get me a sitter? Just any sitter that has Pirkeavos in it. There's a very interesting Mishnah that the Gesha Chaim gets this information from. Where a person understands that this, this, this world is just a place to gather to gather your stuff. Like you're going to camp, so you go into the camp, they give you a list, you know, 12 sweatshirts, a backpack, 12 this, 8 socks, 4 sweat socks. I don't know a girl's list. I have no idea what your list is. Probably 2 hair blowers, 6 brushes, I don't know, 8 toothbrushes, right? 5 deodorants. They give you a whole list of what you need to bring. The same thing in this world. It's like going to camp. In this world, you need mitzvahs. Mitzvahs ben Elm Chaver, mitzvahs ben ben Elm Lamakayim. You have to prepare for the next world. You can't just come to the next world without anything unprepared. So this whole Gesher Chaim is based on is based on a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. I want to read you the Mishnah. It's a little bit of a scary Mishnah, but it's also a very important Mishnah. It says the following. You know, today, today we're learning Pekelos. Now these weeks between Pesach and Shavuos, this week is number two. Number, Perak number two. But let me just see what it says here. Just what I told you before, Rabbi Kiva said, God loves the human being, Jew or not Jew, because they're created in the Tzalem, because it says, Every human being is created in the image of God. So they're not, Goyim are not bad. They're different, that's all. Different is not bad. Different is not bad. Jews are different. We're not bad. Okay, where does it say? Rav Yaakov Omer, Mishnah Chof Aleph and Perek Dal, if you want to write it down. Chof Aleph and Perek Dal. Rav Yaakov Omer, Ha'olam Hazed, this world, this womb, Daimel praised them in the Olam Hamba, is like a lobby in front of the next world. Haskein Atzmachab praised them. Prepare yourself. What do they call that in English? The, the room before you walk into the living room? There's an English word for it. The parlor. The parlor. Right? That's in a fancy house. So, prepare yourself in the parlor. So that you're able to go into the palace. You know, it's interesting. When my daughters were dating, so we have a camera at the front door. Guys don't know that. So when they come to the door, right, before they ring the bell and knock on the door, they straighten out their hat. They straighten out their tie. And they don't know that we're all in the kitchen, all the sisters. Ah, he's cute. He's this, he's that. Everyone's watching him. He doesn't know that everyone's watching him, right? Well, my servant's watching him. He, he's preparing himself before you open the door that he should be, he should look okay. So you have to prepare yourself in this world so that when they open the door to the next world, you look okay because they also have a camera, right? So if Yaakov said that, you have to prepare yourself. And only a fool is not prepared to go into the, into the, into the, 
banquet and he's not prepared and the door's open he's in his, he's in his jeans and his sweatpants and his uh, t-shirt and and, and, the, and and there's a big sign imagine you come to you come to the next world right and you're not ready so in the next world you, you, your mitzvahs are your clothing you don't really have much clothing on because you didn't do any mitzvahs right and you walk in and you're like I want to go to Ghana then and you walk into Ghana and there's a big sign black tie affair only you have to be wearing a tuxedo. And you look down, you're in shorts. Stuck. You're not dressed for the affair, for the occasion. You gotta be dressed for the occasion. So to do that, you gotta prepare yourself in this womb, because you're gonna be born, everyone dies. And after 120 years, you're gonna be born to a new world. You gotta be prepared for that. So that's what, that's what, that's what he says. He says, you gotta be prepared for the next world. But, there's a scarier mission, a mission of Chavtes in Parakei. Who are you, Aimer? Rabbi Lozar Kappa said, Hayuladim Lamus, you're born to die. Because when you're born, you start dying. Everyone understands that? At the same time you're living, if you're supposed to live 90 years, so after one day of life, now you only have 89 years and 364 days. So you're born to die. And this is where he gets his, his whole Geshachayim, that way I said. You die to live. Because once you die, a person goes to Gan Eden. And that's really where a person lives. And the living will be judged. In order that they know, teach, and become aware that God is God. He forms us, He created us, He understands, He understands, He's the judge who aid, he's the witness who bows in, who asked Ladan, he's going to judge us. Baruch Hu You can't bribe him, and he don't forget nothing. Because everything's his. So what are you going to bribe him with? You can't bribe a judge with his own money. And everything's his. That everything Hashem does is with a cheshman. And don't let the Yitzhara say, listen, once you die, there's no more, there's nothing after that. So do a virus, because you're not going to get punished, because there's no oil on Haba. Don't listen to him. You were forced to be created. You were forced to be born. And a person, even if he doesn't want to die, when the time comes, the time comes. And one day you're going to have to give a cheshman. But Hashem loves us. So if Hanan said, Hashem doesn't want to punish you. Hashem, just the opposite. He wishes to give you merit. So what did he do? Therefore he gave us a lot of Torah and a lot of mitzvahs. God wants our righteousness. Hashem made the Torah great so that we could learn. So that's the lesson of Isha Kisavriya, the Yolda Zacha. The lesson of a birth is that when a person comes into this world, you have potential. The, the, the baby is, in a, is, is, is it's an interesting thing how Hashem created us because when you're in the womb, you don't need to breathe. They don't breathe. Babies don't breathe. But... When you're in the world, you can't live without breathing. So he created us that the womb will take care of us. You don't have to eat, you don't have to drink. 
You don't have to move. The, the, the body's feeding you. Your mother's body's feeding you. You yourself doesn't have to do anything. But once you come into the world, you're able to do everything. So, so being born, being born is the, is the potential. Now the question is, I'll end with this. If you have a boy, I, I love this, I said this before, but a long time ago, it's one of the most beautiful dvateras I ever saw, and it happens to be on this week's parsha. It says like this, that if a woman gives birth, and she has a boy, she's tame. Hold on. Read it from inside. I believe 33 days. Let's see. If a woman gives birth to a boy, she becomes Tameh for seven days. He gets a Brismil on the eighth day. And she has to wait 33 days. Okay? She had a boy to be with her husband. In the cave of Salem, what happens if you had a girl? You're Tameh double. Two weeks. 14 days. You have to be separated for 66 days. So the question is, why does a girl being born make you more double tummy as having a boy? So it sounds like, oh, it's a Jew, Jewish chauvinistic stuff. A boy is only 33 days tummy. If you have a girl, because it's such a nebuch, a girl, nebuch on you, it's 66 days. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, girls are more tummy than guys. This is your religion. Yeah, that's why we don't like it. Wrong. Wrong. Listen to this answer. Why does a woman become tummy when she gives birth? Why does a woman become tummy every month? A woman becomes tummy, she has a period, she's tummy every month. Why is she tummy every month? Anyone here know? What's the reason? It says you're tummy every month. Why? What? Oh, because when she produces the egg, she has the potential that month of becoming pregnant, of having a child. When the egg leaves the body and the person has is, is, a, is a nida, that potential leaves. When the potential leaves, there's a void. Where that kedusha was, that a child could be born, there's crazy kedusha. But now it left the body. So now there's a void. So what fills that void? Tama. A person that dies, a person that dies, right? If you touch him, you become tame. Why does a person who dies make you tame? An animal, an animal that dies, if the coin touches the animal, it becomes tame. A person who dies, if you're in the same room, you become tame. Why? Why is there a difference? Because the person had an neshama. When he died, the neshama left his body. When he left his body, there's a crazy void. It was such like a Sefer Torah. There was a Sefer Torah in him. There was a crazy Kedusha in him. And now it left. Oh my God. There's a void. So what fills in the void? The Tumah. So by a person who has a Neshama, when, when there's a void, it's a Neshama. So even if you're in the same room, you're Tumah. By an animal, there's no Neshama. It's just a Nefesh. And the Nefesh leaves. So there's still a Tumah if you touch it. So a woman, every month, has a crazy potential. Right? Until she, that happens, until she gets a period, a girl's not Tumah. She has a crazy potential. Potential leaves. It's replaced by Tumah. So now let's think about this. When the mother is pregnant with a girl, 
she's pregnant with two kedushas because the girl there's a void that the girl now was born on top of that the ability of the girl one day to have children also left you you lost, you lost double what? right, but it's the potential that's, that's what she ended it was the potential the potential is also kedusha. you just lost something that can produce that can carry a baby and nurse a baby she was born, the baby was born she's not in you anymore you had a baby in you, that was a girl you had something in you that was, first of all, a child, which is the same as the boy. A hundred percent. But it's like a gold bar. You lo- you lost a gold bar. So the gold bar can only be used when afterwards to make coins or whatever, but it has... You lost a boy. A boy was born. You didn't lose a chashon. The boy was born. So there was a person in your body, right? What? Yeah, but it's, but it's not the nurturer. The boy is not the nurturer. The, the boy, you need a boy and a girl, but the girl is the, that's why a, a girl is considered, when you make the bracha in the morning, shasani kitsono, what does that mean? You make a bracha shasani kitsono. Girls would love to make the bracha shalayasani ish. You guys say shalayasani isha, I want to say shalayasani ish. Right? Wrong. She says, what, what, what? All the girls in this room and everyone that's listening, all you women, you're big tzedekistas. I 100% believe you're big tzedekistas. But none of you are bigger than Rav Chaim Kainesky. Agree? Gal Hadar. You're not bigger than Rafhaim Kenes. Rafhaim gets up tomorrow morning and says, Shasani Kitsono, it's a brachal of Atala, he has to say Baruch Shen Kubal Machusogan. But any girl in this room, you get up tomorrow morning, you say Asani Kitsono, it's a brachal. Now you're telling me that you girls are the will of God more than Rafhaim Kaineski, who wrote thousands of Svarim, who finished Shas every year. You are more the will of Hashem? Come on. How does that make sense? How does it make sense? I can't get up tomorrow. Maybe. Well, if, you, I can't, if I get up tomorrow morning, I'm like, I want to make this bracha. I want to be the will of Hashem. Why are they the will of Hashem? I'm killing myself over here. I'm putting on tefillin. I'm davening. I open the ornava. Ah, tomorrow I'm making that bracha. Bracha levatol. It's not veira. It's said Hashem's name for no reason. But everyone in this room can make that bracha but me. Why? Because a woman is more like God than a man. Because a woman is a creator, a nurturer, and a protector. The child is created in her body. She nurses the child. So she's a nurturer. And she protects her children like a mother bear. Don't mess with my kids. We all know in PTA, don't say something bad to the mother about the kid. Because she'll rip your head off. The father will be like, you're right, I'll punish him. Blah, blah, blah. But you tell a mother about her son. Uh, 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 uh. Women, mothers are protective. You can tell her about her husband, but don't tell her about her son. Forget about it. So, a woman's created physically to nurture, to create, and to protect. And that's the will of Hashem. Because that's what Hashem does. He creates, He nurtures, and He protects. That's the essence of your bracha. So this woman lost a nurturer, protector, and a creator. But we just call him like his, our mother. He's really, he's, it's, it's just an, uh, it, he's not male or female. So, uh, uh, even though a mother is a nurturer and all that, a father's responsibility is to support his children. What? Yeah, because he's neither, he's neither. 
He's neither. The Shechina, I'm not going to get into the whole Kabbalah part of it, but the Shechina is the, like the Nekeva part. But he's not a Zachor or a Nekeva, but there is two parts. He's one Hashem, but right, he's a nurturer and he's also a father. A Vino Malkeno. And he's also a Melech. He took all that, all, all the sports. So, so therefore it's not that she's more Tomei because she's on a lower level. She's more Tomei because she's on a bigger level. Because she just voided from her body. The child was born not just a person, but a creator and nurturer. And therefore, she has to wait 66 days and she's 14 days. Tomei. So, you need to know who you are, ladies. You need to know that you're, you're a Sadi Kitsono more than, than even a man. We should all be zeicher to uh, live up to that bracha, Shosani Kitsano. That when you get up tomorrow morning, that you had such a good night tonight, and you did so much the right thing, that when you say to Hashem, I am your will, you'll be like, well, I don't know if I really am, but no, I really am your will. I grew. I changed. I'm, I want to be your will. I want to live up to that bracha. It's a big bracha. Shosani Isha is not a big bracha. I'm not a woman, so I can wear tefillin, I can wear towels. What do I have to do to live up not, that I'm not a woman? To live up to be a Zanik at Sinai. To be the will of Hashem. It's huge. That is very, very huge. And the Kedusha that a woman has, we see from this week's Pasha, that she's double the Kedusha of a man. My bracha to all of you is that you should be able to live up to this. That I miss Hashem, whoever needs to get married, she can be able to get married and find the right one. And the, the Pasha of Isha Kisazri, of having children, should talk have children, and should have healthy children, and you should have all the brachas that, are, that, that you want. You should have atzlocha and an amazing week. Thank you for coming. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.